Uh, All right, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 12 today uh, as we continue to walk through the book of Proverbs. Uh, And we're getting about to the halfway point here. And as I said before, we're not going to hit every single proverb and we're not going to hit every single verse in every single chapter of Proverbs. But we're going to pick out some themes. And so today in Proverbs chapter 12, we're going to talk about this idea of hating correction. Now, on Friday night, big night for our family, um, Friday night, my oldest son graduated from high school. So, yeah, really, really cool thing. Dylan, yes, we had a, we had a very loud group of cheers for him as he walked across the stage. Uh, I was so proud of him, and, you know, obviously, uh, graduating high school is, is one of those milestones in life, you know, and it kind of fills you up, right, doesn't it? Like those big moments when you, if you're a dad and you're watching or you're a mom and you're watching your children go through some of those big things in life. And so watching him with his cap and gown, get his diploma, finishing high school, moving on in life, really, really big deal. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't mean to embarrass him and, and I just mean to make a point with this. So uh, I'm not trying to brag on him, but he, he graduated his senior year. He had a GPA of 4.83. So really, really smart kid, right? Really did a great job in high school. And so is he, is he really, really bright? Yes, he is. Did he learn a lot in high school? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. With all of that being said, is he done learning? Wow, you said that really fast. Wouldn't it be nice if like you graduated high school and then they gave you that little box, that little square thing, and you walked out and you were done? You knew everything you needed to know for life? You know, when I was like eight, I thought that's what it was. They gave you the paper and you were like, I'm good to go, right? I was like, I can't wait to grow up and be mom and dad like when when they just know everything and they have the answer for everything and I, I can't wait for that. I'm still waiting for that, you know? You figure out over the time that, that, that you go on and you go on and you go on. So it would sure save Dylan a lot of time and a lot of money if he was done learning, right? But now we got to go on to this whole other college thing and keep learning. Sometimes that gets irritating, doesn't it? So when is it? When do you cross the finish line when you are done, when you've learned everything that you need to know, when you have all the answers that you need? When do you get to that point? Really wise people recognize these two things. First of all, I don't know it all. No matter what phase of life you're in, no matter where you stand in life, you recognize I don't have all the answers. Now that can be good news and bad news. The good news is there's always an opportunity to grow. There's always an opportunity to learn. There's always an opportunity to hear from someone and take some information in. There's always an opportunity to go forward. But the bad news is, it means almost by definition that you're going to mess up. There's never an end to your ability to make mistakes. And you're going to blow it. And you're going to fail. And you're going to fall. Really wise people recognize, first of all, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. And secondly, really wise people, and this is kind of the theme of Proverbs we're getting to today, recognize that they cannot figure out all the right answers on their own. This is not an individual journey in life. If you are going to be wise, if you are going to go in the right direction, it is not going to be the sum total of what you think, what occurs to you, and what comes from you. You have blind spots, and you have prejudices, and they will keep you from being able to do this thing all by yourself. So, really wise people recognize, I don't know it all, and I can't figure it out all on my own. 
And so, if I'm wise, it means that I am very open to this thing called correction. I am off track and I need to get on right track. I need someone to speak input into me. If you are wise, you are looking for ways to hear the truth that you need to hear. Obviously, as a church and with the Word of God and with an eternal mindset, the most important truth you can hear is the truth about God. The truth about God's way, the truth about God's will, the truth about who He is, God's truth for you. As a matter of fact, if you're really wise and you're convinced that I don't have all the answers and I can't figure them out on my own, you get real desperate for this input. So much so that when someone comes to you with a critique and they come to you in a, in a harsh way or a lousy way or a hurtful way, you find a way to look past the way it's said to look to what's said because just in case there's something there you need. That's when you know you really care about learning and growing is when you can even kind of like look past the delivery of a critique to see if there's any truth hidden inside. So today the question I'm asking you is this. If you are wrong about something, do you actually want to know it? Do you really want to know it? Guys, if you're driving with your wife and you're going somewhere and you thought you knew the way, but it turns out you're on the wrong path, do you want her to tell you or not? This is an important thing. This is kind of marriage counseling 101 right here. So just like, you know, write that down or turn to her and say yes or no. I don't want to know or I do want to know. Tell me. Because, you know, that's the question going on in her head. Like, I know we're not going the right way, but should I tell him? Does he want to know? Does he care? Maybe we're going to take a four-hour detour. Maybe we're going around the world till we come back, you know. Who knows? Do you really want to know? Let's say that you have money for retirement. Let's just pretend you have money for retirement, okay? And you are investing that money somewhere, and turns out that one piece of information would take it, where you are investing it is, is going to be... Uh, like a billion dollar difference between where you could invest it, a billion dollar difference. If one person told you one thing and said, don't do that, do this. What you're doing is the wrong direction, but if you did this, you would have a billion more dollars when you retired. Would you want someone to tell you that? Yes. <laughs> that's an easy one, right? Why, why are we so quick with that? Because that's a huge difference. There's value in that. If, you know, it's not really worth it for me to say, shut up, I don't want to hear from you, if it makes the difference between, you know, a billion dollars. I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is simply this. What about if there's a billion dollar mistake that you're in spiritually? It doesn't have a dollar figure to it, but it has eternal value. Is it worthwhile for you to hear and to know that you're on the wrong track, that you need to stop going this way, stop doing those things, stop thinking this way, you're in the wrong direction, making the wrong choices, doing something you shouldn't or not doing something you should, would you like someone to tell you? Now, when we talk about this, it's easy for us to separate this into the idea of theoretical versus real. Theoretically, I would always like someone to tell me theoretically. But in reality, when someone bumps into me and it turns out I'm wrong, what's my actual real life response to correction? When you're a kid, you get corrected all the time. It's kind of mom and dad's job to correct you. And you have very little choice about how you will respond to correction because you're a kid. Some of us 
adopted this idea in childhood with the bitterness of being corrected that the answer to my life was if I can just be my own authority, if I just don't have to do what other people say. Have you ever said that when you were little? I can't wait till I grow up and I can do whatever I want. Yeah, how many of you get to do whatever you want? Yeah, yeah. It's the great lie upon children, you know. When I'm a mom and a dad, I'll do. Nobody can tell me what to do. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that. It doesn't come, right? So the idea is we adopt this idea if I can just do whatever I want. If no one can tell me what to do, if no one will correct me, things will be good. That would be so much better. But Proverbs tells us that wise people embrace correction and discipline. They don't believe the lie that doing what I want is the path to happiness. They actually have experienced enough life and read enough from the Word of God and heard enough from the Spirit of God to know that if I just do what I want, I'm going to wind up lost. And so they find places to learn. They find places to be molded and shaped, to hear. They find people who will speak the truth into their life. Not just about anywhere and not just from anyone, people who will reliably point them to the Lord, to God's way, to God's truth, to guide their lives. So let's look at Proverbs 12. We're just going to start with just verse 1. We'll go down and look at some other things later. But verse 1 to me really sums up this whole idea. Here's what it says. Proverbs chapter 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is... What's that word? Stupid. All right. Now, I just wanted to make it clear that the Bible is the one that says stupid. All right. Whoever hates correction is stupid. We'll talk about what that means in just a second. Very simple contrast. And I wonder where we fall on this. What category fall into this? It's kind of a love-hate relationship. Either you love correction or you hate correction. And from time to time, you kind of respond either way. It's defined by what you do with it. Do you look for truth and make the changes? Do you respond to correction or do you just get irritated by it and annoyed by it? It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Wisdom loves discipline. So what is the connection between discipline and wisdom? Well, here's the idea of discipline. It's kind of Think through this word a little bit. When we talk about wisdom, we're talking about wisdom is not something that is filled with pride. When I'm really wise, I'm not puffed up. I'm not all about me. I'm not all about how great I am. Wisdom, real wisdom begins, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord starts with this idea that I am not the Lord. I'm not in charge. I'm not great. I'm not infallible. I'm not worthy of worship. I am not the Lord. He is. And so real wisdom starts with this humility. I am a fallen human being capable of making huge messes. I also, wisdom knows, that I am better off doing what is right than staying stuck in what is wrong. I wonder how many of us are convinced of that. That I am every single time better off doing what is right than doing what is wrong. Sometimes that's a tricky thing because when you look at what you think are the outcomes, it looks to you like you're better off staying stuck or doing what is wrong rather than doing what's right. But real wisdom says, no, don't believe what I see. I'm going to believe what's true. Wisdom believes there are consequences to what is wrong and foolish, consequences I do not want. 
and I will have lasting benefits if I reject what is wrong and embrace what is right. And so the, the Bible is asking you, how hungry are you for correction? How many of you today are probably mistaken about something in your life? Probably off track, probably blind in some area. How many of you are probably off track? So if, and we recognize every single one of us, okay? So that means every single one of us should be hungry for that correction, right? If we really value what's right and what's true, we should be looking for it. We should be seeking it out. What's the, where am I missing something? Let me go grow. Let me go learn. I've got a thirst in my soul for that. How hungry are you for correction? Sometimes what stops us is this idea of insecurity. You know, I don't want people to tell me that I'm blowing it or making it wrong because it says something about my value and I'm not sure about my value. So I don't want people to think this of me. So I don't really want anybody to know that I've blown it or messed up because somehow people will believe that I'm a better person if they don't know that I've messed up, right? Insecurity. In the context of what we're talking about here, what we find is that insecurity that makes me defensive is not in the category of wise or useful. Because where does that insecurity lead me? It leads me to hate correction, to despise it, to push it away, not to embrace it. Dreading discovery of my past mistakes or my current mistakes is not wise or useful. If I am always trying to cover and if I am living in fear of getting found out, it is not helping me be wise. It is helping me stay stuck in foolishness. Because the wise don't hide their mistakes. Let me say this again. The wise do not hide their mistakes. They expect them, they expose them, and then they deal with them so they can go on from them. So if you today are trying to cover your tracks and trying to keep it hidden and trying to make sure nobody thinks anything bad about you, you are stuck in a cycle that is not taking you to wisdom. If we all readily believe that we're probably off and graciously saying in an area, but we're probably talking about a drove of areas, like a whole you know, bag full of areas, we're off somewhere. Then we all recognize that we should be ready to receive correction. However God wants to give it, we should be looking for it, ready for it, hungry for it. And if we're not, anything that gets in the way of that hunger is not helping us be wise. Because even my mistakes are not my worth. The wise embrace discipline. What is discipline? Discipline is this idea of a lifestyle where I embrace and practice what is right and good. I make it a normal habit in my life. Discipline. And so the discipline here, the the wise embracing discipline is about learning and and correcting and and constantly evaluating what I'm doing in in light of what God does. And I'm not talking about little tiny things. Listen, if you're at the spot in your spiritual maturity where all you have to worry about are these little tiny things, you know, did I say that word the right way and everything? God bless you. You're, You're way, way further than all the rest of us, okay? Like you must be some superstar. I'm talking about big, huge, black and white issues. Things as simple as don't lie. Don't be proud. Don't speak nasty to other people. Don't gossip, right? I'm ta- Simple things. Be devoted to the Lord. Share your faith. Witness to others. Like simple things. That's what I'm talking about. 
And that's what the Bible's talking about. If, if you have learned and grown through all that, then you know how to receive instruction. But sometimes we get so focused on the little thing because we don't really want to deal with the big thing. Discipline. It's a simple choice. When I learn that something is not what God wants, I move to remove that from my life. When I learn that there's something that God wants me to do, I begin doing it. It is the idea of disciple. We talk about Jesus' disciples. The word disciple is to be a follower of, to be a learner of, to model and mold my life after someone, to be their disciple. Who are we disciples of? And so there's a molding process that happens to make you and I like Jesus. Discipline is the verb of that word disciple, that, to, to mold, to shape us. The wise love discipline. They love being molded and shaped. That's why correction becomes connected to discipline because that says, nope, this doesn't belong. Nope, this has got to go. Hey, you've got to make sure you include this. It shapes me over time. And so what the Bible says just at the beginning there is, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. There's that wisdom thing. But whoever hates correction, whoever despises it, doesn't want it, is stupid. This word stupid that that occurs in the Hebrew is really describing an animal, a beast, okay, a brute beast kind of thing without understanding, without any, you know, uh, conscience or soul or, or anything like that, just a beast. And so when we don't want correction, the Bible's saying we act like an animal. Now, some of you are real animal lovers. You, you love, you have some cats and you have some dogs and you have some squirrels and whatever. You got all your animals, right? And they're all really, really smart and they're all, you've trained them to do all their tricks and you just look in their eyes and you just know that they're very intelligent. Okay, so this is not talking about your family pet. This is talking about wild beasts, okay, which your family pet probably wouldn't survive in the wild. There's, The idea is these beasts that have no training, that live out in the wild, that do whatever they want, they have no moral compass. They're not concerned about what's right and wrong. They're just animals. You see what the Bible's talking about? And so when I hate instruction, when I hate correction, when I push it away, I'm acting like, the Bible says, I'm acting like I live in the wild like an animal. I act by my instinct. I act by my nature. I act by my current desires. And I don't care and I don't evaluate, is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's a right now thing. Everything's a right now thing. The reason implied there, the reason that I hate correction is because right now, it feels unpleasant. And even the New Testament says, you know, discipline is unpleasant. I don't like it. But afterwards, it yields a harvest of righteousness. Afterwards, it brings what I want. So right now, if I want to be like a beast, I just care about the right now. But if I want to be someone who is wise, then I embrace discipline. I embrace the discomfort of the right now for the long-term benefit. Now, that makes so much sense. It's so easy. It's so simple. All of us should be like correction gatherers all the time. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. I should give you like five minutes to go around the auditorium and just talk to people and be like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And you should all just get up with hungry hearts and walk around bumping into people. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Yes, tell me, tell me, tell me. Right? Logically, that makes sense. So why don't we do that? Why is it that when someone tells me you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have said that, that was the wrong choice, I go, oh yeah? Why is that? Well, look down with me. A couple verses later, verse 15, verse 16. Here's what it says. The way of fools 
seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Unlike animals, humans have stuff in the way that would stop us from doing what makes sense. We have a reason to resist wisdom, to hate correction. Why? Because we want to be right. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we need to be right. Why? Because if I am right, then I have the right to feel better than the people who are wrong. There is an interplay of pride with what stops me from wanting correction or instruction. You know, maybe your, your sense of pride is a simple thing. You know, someone went through the line ahead of you and they bought stuff and they didn't even have coupons for it. You know, stupid person, they overpaid and you're just so much smarter than they are. You know, you listen to what somebody said and you knew it was going to get them in trouble at work and you listened to it and you thought they're so stupid. What's wrong with them? Why, I would never say anything like that. I, you know what's going to happen when someone says that. Pride, right? I'm better than you. I make better choices than you. They're, why would they do that? Why would they think that? Why would they like that person? Why would they date that person? I don't understand. They're so dumb. I'm so much better than them, right? Much, much better than them. Pride. And pride is the thing that gets into us and wants to push away what we need it says that, that long-term righteousness is not a value that we want to sacrifice for. Instead, I would rather have everyone think well of me, everyone think high of me. I would rather at least feel like I have the right to think of myself as better than they are. And so pride fills our humanity, and it's very, very sneaky. And so when it comes to wisdom, pride gets in the way. Someone wants to help us. They care enough about to speak up uh, to us when we're going wrong, and we react by saying, no, I'm not wrong, and I won't be wrong because I believe I'm right. And our pride stops us. It convinces us that we don't need to listen to them. And so the Bible says, the way of fools seems right to them. My own way, the way that I'm going, the way that I've chosen is right to me. I don't need to hear from anybody else in this. Now, I will tell you, you've probably done this. you probably had conversations with friends that go like this. I have conversations like this uh, as a pastor all the time. Pastor Mark, I need some advice. I need some help. This is going on in my life, and it's really, really bad. It's really horrible. It's really awful. Okay, tell me about it. And they tell me about it. Well, here's what I think you need to do. The Bible talks about this and honesty and truthfulness and whatever. And I'm going to give you some advice. No, that's not what I need to do. Okay, what do you need to do? Well, I need to do the same things I've been doing. All right, why don't you go try that out and see how that works? Oh, that's right, you already have been. That's why you're here. Right? We love to stay in our own way. My path, my desires, my thoughts, my ideas. And you've probably had, how many conversations have you had like that with a friend or with a child or with a spouse where you're like, uh, if you keep doing what you always do, you're going to keep getting the same results that you're here complaining about. So when are you going to do something different? When are you going to correct your course? Oh no, a fool loves his own way. He, his way seems right to themselves. So a foolish person listens to themselves. The fool is one who needs no input and wants no input. They already know the right answer. The people who disagree with them just don't understand. They just don't get it. Right? They, how many times have I heard, well, you just don't understand what it's like. 
You know, Pastor Mark, you don't understand what it's like because you don't have the same problems I have. Oh, I didn't know that I just got exempted from the human race. You know, like, come on, right? Because I'm a pastor, then I don't have any struggles with, with any of these things, self-worth or pride or greed or lust. Or like, oh, it all just went away. They, they put pastor in front of my name. It all just went away. We, we love to make excuses to stay in our own way. God did not save you so you could follow your own advice. God saved you so you could be delivered to live as a child of God. And you know nothing about living like a child of God. He knows it because he's God. So he wants to lead you in that way. Will you be led or will you take your own advice? Right? That's what it comes down to here. A fool loves to stay in their own way. They don't want anybody to tell them anything. They don't question whether they're wrong or mistaken. They just like staying where they are. And if someone disagrees with me, something is wrong with them. Now, let me just say this. It does not, the Bible is not saying that wise people change their mind with whatever the next person tells them. Okay? Being open to correction and being open to input does not mean that I'm wishy-washy. That I just, oh, you say this? Okay, well, then I'll do that. Oh, you say that? I'll do that. Because that's not how this works. The wise person is someone who listens to input. It's, it talks about listens to advice here. The wise listen to advice. They listen to it. They have their own mind and they can think for themselves, but they, they listen, they take in what people say, they evaluate it against the truth. What does the Bible say? Is that there? Is that They let the Spirit speak to their soul and they are guided by the Spirit. And so I'm not suggesting that if we're going to be wise, we should go out and live unsure of ourselves in every decision of life. I'm not asking you to go home and wring your hands over whether you should have you know, bought coffee on the way home or not. Is that a wise decision? Should I be correct? I'm not asking you to struggle with and be paralyzed with every single decision. What I'm saying is, You've got to have this, this, this balance and you've got to have this openness. You can't be open to everything, but you have to be open to when God is trying to break through however he's trying to break through to you. And so there's this balance between humility. I know that I'm fallible. I know that I will make mistakes. I know that I need help and I don't have all the answers. But the other side of it is faith. You can live confident without being proud. That key ingredient is faith. Let me show you how that works, all right? Just ask you a, a series of questions and see if you believe these things, all right? Do you believe that God knows what is best? Okay, so that's my faith. I, I believe God knows what is best. That God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows that if I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. God knows all of it, the whole story. Does God know everything about it? Okay, I believe that. Do you believe that God, is, his, his ways are right every single time? Like, there's never a time where God has been mistaken, and he was like, oh, whoops, sorry. <laughs> never? Okay. I believe that God is always exactly right. Faith. Do I believe that God has given me things to guide me, his word and his spirit? Does God given me this and the Holy Spirit so that I will be guided by them? So by faith, I believe God knows the right way, God knows what's best for me, and He's given me things to guide me. Now here's the big one. Do you believe God wants you to know His way? Sometimes we act like God is like, you know, that, that cosmic hide-and-seek thing, like, I'm over behind the tree, let's see if they can find me. God is coming after you. The story of the Word of God is that God has pursued you from the beginning of your life. 
If he didn't, you wouldn't know him. God came to you. God wants you to know his way. Sometimes I get irritated by people who are like, man, we have to plead and we have to beg for God to this and this and this. Man, I think God is just waiting for people to be open to let, us, let him use us. Because he's the one who is the mover of this. It's his passion to reach the world, right? I don't have to convince him. He has to get me on board. And when I'm on board, man, he just pours out his spirit. Do you sense God's spirit as we get together and worship on Sunday morning? Is that because you guys lived an exemplary life this week? Or is that because as soon as we open our hearts up, God pours out his spirit in a powerful way because he loves to do that. God wants you to know his way. Is God, with all of his knowledge and with all of his rightness and with his passion for you to know the way, is God able to show you the way? So by faith, I can live confident because I can go like this. Well, I'm doing this. Now, God, if you want me to do different things, I know you have the ability to make it known to me. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to have my ears open, and I'm going to follow you wherever, wherever you lead me. I'm ready. Show me how to go, Lord. I'm going I'm to step out into this day, and you lead my steps. Will God show up in that day? Of course he will. Because he knows the end from the beginning, because his ways are right, because he cares about you, because he's already given you guide, and, and maybe you've been ignoring it. Maybe he keeps knocking on your heart about the thing that you heard two weeks ago, right? And God is going to keep guiding your steps and keep after you about the things he wants to change and mold in you. All you have to do to decide is whether you're going to respond or not, whether you're open to it or not. And so you can live confidently. You can go forward with confidence because God will direct your life if you will let him. And so I don't have to live uncertain and, and paranoid. I can live confident that I don't have the answers, but God does, and God will bring them to me as I look to follow him. The wise listen to advice. The wise are open to what God has to say, but the way of a fool seems right to him. And so when it comes to a moment where something shows up in my life, there's someone who cares about me that speaks to me, I want to hear it because I want to hear from God. I'm living with a heart that is open for God to speak to me. Verse 16 says, fools show their annoyance at once. How long does it take for you to get annoyed? You know what category that puts us in? Let's read that again. Fools show their annoyance at once. Now, obviously, there's a general principle there um, of that, that if I am living in foolishness or I'm allowing foolishness to grip my heart, that I will become easily and quickly annoyed. But the annoyance here is kind of in this flow of I don't agree with what someone has just said they think about me. I don't agree with what they, what they think. What they think is the right way. And so I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed that you do not see my, my grand wisdom, you know, the beautiful display of knowledge that has just flowed from my mouth that I've just graced your ears with. Aren't you so privileged that I would speak it and you dare to disagree with me? How can that be? I'm annoyed, right? And how often does that show up in relationships that you live in? In, in parenting relationships, in, in marriage relationships, in friendships, in families, in, in churches? If you don't agree with me, what's wrong with you? I'm annoyed at you. It says, fools show their annoyance at once. And the idea here is that they make it public. They make it very obvious that I am annoyed, right? They want, they want to let people know, or they, they find a way to let people know they're annoyed, whether it's verbal 
or some other body language thing, you know, the huffing, the, you know. Have you ever done that with somebody? I'm not going to say anything to you because you don't even deserve my words, but I will give you my breath so that you know how stupid you actually are, right? Fools show their annoyance at once. Sometimes, sometimes you don't even realize how much you're communicating your annoyance because you don't even know how to control yourself. You just, it just flows out, right? But other times, and I think this is something that we do in relationships, especially close relationships, we show annoyance for a purpose. We just want to make sure that the other person knows that they're going to pay for disagreeing with us, Right? Right? I'm going to be, I'm not going to talk to you, or if I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to give you little curt answers, and I'm going to show my annoyance because I want you to back off. I want you to get out of here. I don't want that, that stuff, and I want you to know those words are not welcome here. So you're going to face my annoyance to scare you off. Foolishness. The Bible says fools show their annoyance at once. And so that approach starts to turn a fool into a very prickly person. Someone that's hard to be around. They're always at the ready to make someone pay for disagreeing with them. They become hypersensitive to disrespect. Oh, what are you saying about me? Right? That idea is, what am I listening for? I'm listening for the insult. I'm always listening for the insult. And I'm annoyed because I'm always ready for you to insult me, to take away my pride. Fools show their annoyance at once. And there's no possibility of any teamwork because they have to be the dictator of any task. It's got to be my way. And if anyone disagrees with me, they're annoying. I don't have time for them. Anybody annoy you? Right? Fools show their annoyance at once. Fools have a short fuse. Fools are prickly people that have no room for people to have differing opinions or differing ideas that have no grace to pour out on other people. Fools show their annoyance at once. And so, but it says the wise, the prudent, overlook an insult. You know, get down to the, they say, listen, somebody just said something kind of in a nasty way to me. Don't care. What did you say? Let me hear it. Lord, is there something in this for me? Literally, what the Bible says is they treat the insult like it's invisible. They don't have any time for the insult. It has no purpose for them. They don't need it. They don't need to hold on to it. They just let it go. They look right through it and they evaluate are you saying something I need to hear? That's what the wise do. And so which is a better description of your reaction to input? Annoyance or overlooking it? Are you settled right now on your way being the best way or even the only way? Or do you value wisdom enough that you're ready to listen to advice? I think what it comes down to is how much we value the truth. And I just, we're kind of out of time, but I just want to read these verses to you, verses 17 to 19, uh, because it keeps going. It talks about an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. The reason that I would embrace correction, the reason that I would love correction is because I value the truth. How much do you value the truth? Are your lips truthful? Or are they mostly truthful? Except when it's to your advantage to be a little bit dishonest. See, the idea there, truthful lips, an honest witness, is the idea of a courtroom. They didn't have all this CSI science back in the day, so the judge listened to eyewitnesses. And a witness that was honest told the truth. And if the judge relied on what the honest witness said, he would make a right judgment. 
But a dishonest witness, a lying witness, when he, when he relied on that, when he, when he took their word for it, they literally held the accused's life in their hands as the judge made. And so I'm saying to you, how reliable are your words? Do you recognize that that is a huge barrier in relationship? If the person that you're connected to can't trust what you say, can't trust that you will express yourself and say the truth, if they've always got to pull it out of you or they've always got to read between the lines, do you realize that you will never be close to anyone? You can't. Because you've just, once they figure out the word games that you're playing and the, the, the hide-and-seek game you're playing, they, they're going to give up. They'll be, they'll be pleasant with you. They'll be you know, at a distance from you. But they can't be close to you because they can't trust you. And that, so it says here, you know, a, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The idea is, tell the truth. A wise person values the truth enough to believe that wherever the truth takes me is better than wherever a lie would take me. Live that out. If you want to, to see how you respond to correction, live that out. There's correction for you. What's that going to do for your week this week? And then it talks about how the words of the reckless pierce like sword. These are people that don't care about what they say. They don't care about how it comes off. They stab somebody because they speak to them in a way without controlling what they say. And it says it pierces them like a sword. Obviously, it's not talking about an actual sword piercing them. It's talking about spiritual damage. And so, generally speaking, the people who downplay the impact of words are those who don't want to control their words. How are your words affecting people around you? They're affecting them one way or another. Even your silence affects people around you. How are your words affecting people? Are they piercing? Or, the contrast is, a wise person heals with their words. And healing, just like the the piercing, is a spiritual healing. So you have this idea of destroying people with your words or bringing healing to them with their words. I think there's so much hope in that, that if we will be people who are wise, there's the opportunity for us to take something as mundane as words and use them towards spiritual healing in someone's soul. Isn't that incredible? The wise bring healing. And it's not because you have the right thing to say. It's because you're willing to speak out of truth. That's the idea. Truth is the thing that heals. It's not because it's so easy and pleasant and cushy and soft. Sometimes truthful words that heal are hard words to hear. But someone who values the truth will speak them because they know that they will take you to healing. Truthful lips endure forever. A truthful person will always be sought out. What do you think? What do you th- I know you'll tell me the truth. But a lying person, just for a moment, I'll hear you once, now I can't trust you. They tune you out. Tune you out. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Well, I guess you just take it and you say, well, where am I in this whole scheme of things? As, when someone comes to give me correction, how do I respond to it? What do, what, what's my... Uh, my, my demeanor with them. When I'm wrong and someone in kindness and love shows it to me, do I embrace it? Do I thank them for it? Am I gracious with it? Or am I irritated? Do I value the truth enough that I will cultivate relationships around me and invite friends to speak truth to me? Or not? Don't want to hear it. Will I value truth enough that I will carve out time for my week to do exactly what you're doing right now? Come and listen to it? 
That's where we embrace wisdom. When we have a heart that is open to the truth. Maybe today, the thing that's in your way is that you've got this pride that you've never really confronted. You've called it all kinds of things, but the reason, when you get down to it, the reason that you don't want to hear what other people have to say is because you believe that your way is right. And you don't want to change. You like your way. You know your way. God's been knocking on on the door of your heart over and over and over again saying, come home, come home, come home. And you said, no. And you've got all your reasons, but when you get down to it, you know God is at you. He's on you. He's after you. And you have got to respond. You've got to put aside the excuses and the foolishness, and you've got to respond to the Lord. And what you'll find is when you do, He's waiting for you with open arms. He's not wagging His finger at you. He's not, you know, what's wrong with you? He's like, good. This is what I've been waiting for. The story in the Bible that we call the prodigal son, and that story is about wandering far away and a father that waits for you to come home. So we're going to close with a song that kind of summarizes that today for you. And maybe that's kind of where you feel like you have been wandering in some of this. And at time, it's time to come home. It's time to set aside things that God's been after you about letting go of. It's time to embrace some things that God's been after you to, come on, come back to that. What are you going to do with whatever the Spirit is doing inside of you today? Will you respond or will you keep running away? I hope this song speaks to your soul.